are listening to of Dyson Men, the show about board games, the people who play them, and the culture surrounding the hobby. We are doing an episode of of Dyson Men Knights Edition. <laughs> We're playing the game El Grande. But before we get started and talk about El Grande, let's get to know our our uh, the other people here because I am your host Adam Barrett, and these are my lovely co-hosts Chad and Ryan. Say hi, guys. Hi, guys. Hello. So, a little thing we like to do before we start off the show is get to know our hosts just a little bit better. So, we've got a question for the evening. The question is, I have no idea. Does anybody have a question? <laughs> I was going to say, like, uh, this is going to come entirely out of the blue because we did. We usually talk about these we things in advance. One, but I didn't at all. <laughs> so, the question is, um, do you guys prefer uh, playing online games asynchronously? or synchronously like all together when you're like over you know talking on a chat and playing over video or do you prefer it over days or is it kind of a wash i prefer async when i'm playing online like it's it's perfectly serviceable to do like the real time you know everyone jump on discord or something like that and and we can chat with each other while we're playing type of thing but if we're going to do that i would a hundred percent rather do that in person but Asynchronous games fill that nice little gap between game in-person gaming sessions, right? Where you know you can take a 15-minute break from work and do your turn in through the ages or something like that. So I think I, I prefer asynchronous online gaming, but then in person, I'd, I'd much rather do like a real-time game. I've got the lame loser answer of it depends. It depends <laughs> on the game that we're playing. Like um, lame loser. <laughs> like today, we're going to be talking about El Grande. El Grande works fantastically both async and synchronously but i was thinking that like the games that i really like to play async especially are those uh simple but epic like lengthy campaignish style games so we've done king's dilemma we've talked about on here before ultimate werewolf was a hoot and we're playing legacy of dragon holt right now it's a lot of fun we've tried a couple rpgs doing that asynchronously as well and so although sometimes that asynchronous can be like weeks in between turns in the rpgs <laughs> unfortunately but um yeah i think overall i prefer async except for if i'm learning a new strategy game because i'm one of my new year's resolutions was to learn online games before i play them and i've already failed that new year's resolution because we played <laughs> railways of the world i was too lazy to read the rule book i got like a third of the score of anyone else and i just I learned nothing throughout the whole game. I, I, I learned how to get one point per round, which is right. woefully insufficient. Sure, sure. And next time you want to play for money, I get I get the whole right drift <laughs> here. I, on the other hand, am the exact opposite of you, which makes both of you wrong. I uh, now I'm going to pull back a bit and say, okay, but Ryan talking there made me go, oh yeah, the async like role playing style thing. Like even when we did King's Dilemma, it is a board game, but it, we we kind of added a lot more role playing elements than you probably would in person. And right. definitely like you know, Legacy of Dragon Hole, these kind of async role playing games, and even Werewolf. Like you know, Werewolf is fun. It's actually not even that fun. It's okay. <laughs> um, but when we did it async, just the the role playing involved and stuff just made it so much better. Those ones I actually like, but I feel like they're a different kind of game. When it comes to board games, I, you know, for me, it's like, you know, small, middle, large. I I like the fact that I'm playing more games than I ever have before because of the async games, because I've got, you know, literally seven games started right now, I think, um, nice. going at once. But <laughs> you're, in the, you're in that phase of the board game arena. Down yeah. <laughs> yeah, seven games going at once. Still no strangers. They only play with friends, though. I, better than that is to play all together, you know, on Discord or whatever when we're all like actually doing it real time. And then, of course, 
best of all, physically in person, holding dice, shaking them, feeling the tactile sensations of the board. I miss it so much. I miss it so much. We'll get there. One day we'll get there. So now that you know us a little bit better, tonight we'll be playing for Of Dice and Men Nights. An, a game close to our hearts. I actually have nothing really to say about this game. The game <laughs> is El Grande, one of the most popular games in the world, I think, when it comes to like geek gamers. But why? Why is it so good? What What is it about El Grande you guys like? Well, it's not... Um... I wouldn't say that currently in today's world that it's one of the most popular games out there, but it was one of those classic Euro games that started taking the hobby by storm. So I think it's partly responsible with Puerto Rico, with Kalis and with Catan for developing those hobby gamers who are focused on strategy games and not just like rolling dice and risk and playing those types of games. So I think it was highly, highly influential in that way. And at its core, it's sort of like a dudes on a map game but with sort of uh it's perfect information there isn't like the randomness of die rolls and those kinds of things so it's very strategic and tactical and very thoughtful it's actually uh well it was one of the first games that i'd ever bought the first games i'd ever gotten were like the fantasy flights sort of like barack fury of dracula and twilight imperium big space epic but then i got this one i, I wanted to get something with like sour looking nobles on the box cover <laughs> and this box has like the sourest of all nobles oh, totally. <laughs> and his his little sidekick on on the cover and it's just like I want to get this game because this looks like the Euro game cover that gets mocked on board game geek at that time, <laughs> like around 2006 or whenever I, I joined that website and absolutely fell in love with it. And to this day, I think it's still what I consider to be the best pure strategy game design of any game that I've played. And to, in the fact that it's like, it's very engaging and dynamic. You're really invested in what other people are doing and you're trying to do clever moves, but because it has perfect information, it's just, pure strategy so. yeah i've only i've only actually played it once which kind of surprised me because i was thinking back about it uh before we started this episode uh i've only ever played it once and it was when we were over at ryan's place and he taught it to the to the two of us and i've been looking to play this game again pretty much constantly since then anytime it came up in a math trade i tried to grab it uh it was behind between printings for quite a while i think they've recently reprinted it uh, but yeah, it was hard to get. So it, it was always that game that like I had a great experience out of the gate with it. I've just always wanted to play it again. So now that it's on Board Game Arena, it's still in beta, so it should be going live soon. Uh, but you do need a paid account to, to play it on Board Game Arena. And yeah, oh, that that picture is is amazing. <laughs> yeah. Just the sours of nobles on that on that box. Uh, mm. But yeah, it's 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 always been. I think uh, what you said was true. It's one of those games that came kind of came over uh, to North America around that time frame when people were realizing there is more to board gaming than Risk and Monopoly and Sorry and and those just staples that you find up in the closet, right? It introduced some new novel mechanics that a lot of games have honestly copied since then, and a lot of them not not as well as as the original. So yeah, mm. I'm I'm really excited to play it again. Well, it's interesting because I think that it was a highly influential game on stuff like uh, Chaos in the Old World or Blood Rage or games like that mm -hmm. that like seem like very, very like thematic and like evocative and that kind of thing. But for my money, this one just catches me right in that like it, it keeps me interested from the first turn to the last turn. It's uh, got dramatic swings of points. It's, you know, when one person's a runaway leader, it's generally pretty easy to identify that person and to sort of actually be able to affect their um placements on the board and stuff so it's just a fantastic game to play it's still among yeah. my favorites i do prefer my older version i think i have the decennial version that came with all the expansions with it as well which i've actually never tried because it's such a great pure design that i don't even want right. to sort of like muddy the waters at all 
I think the newest version actually has plastic cubes, which to oh. me is just like, that's bizarre. Like, why don't you just use wood cubes? That's that's unfortunate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's wrong. me being a little bit nitpicky, though. So, what is the game about, though? Is that your well, next I was question? Say, <laughs> before you get into what it's about, how would you do? Well, no, I'm just kidding. Get into what it's about. <laughs> so, what it's about, it's, it takes place in the 15th century in Spain. Um, there's It's a five player game. Each player plays a different ethnic group within um, that. Uh, region in that time and they're all sort of competing to become the next um ruler of of spain you have uh two different types of pieces in the game most of your pieces are called caballeros but they're basically your dudes that are on the map and you use them for determining who has majority in different regions the game is played like i said on a map that's divided into different regions and based on who has the most second most or third most pieces in those locations will score a certain number of victory points some regions are worth more than others so those ones can be highly highly competitive at which case sometimes plucking a few of those smaller point regions that are being less competitive is actually a pretty good strategy to play and so you also have one piece that's called the grande it's sort of like the high aristocrat within your your ethnic group and essentially what they are is just bonus victory points if you happen to be in first place in that region so the way you're able to place cubes on the map is fairly interesting you essentially have two resource piles of dudes that you're able to have access to there's the provinces the caballeros that are in your provinces aren't quite map ready yet it's sort of like they're within your population but they're not sort of like fitted for war or uh, have you you know encouraged and take part in the in this uh, conflict then you also have your guys that are in your court so you're able to draw people from your provinces to your court and once they're in your court then they're available to be put onto the board so you're going to be spending guys out of your court as you're placing onto the board but you're able to replenish them with the power cards that you're going to be playing now the power cards really have two uses one of them is they'll have an indication from six to zero of how many guys you're able to pull from the provinces and put into your court the cards also range from one to 13 and they're actually bidding cards that you use during uh there's nine rounds in the game and at the start of every round you're essentially doing an auction to pick up action cards that are going to be available but i'll get into those in a second and so let's say chad is the first to play a power card he can play one of those cards between one and 13. the higher the number the lower the guys that you can pull from the provinces to the court but the um more like higher likelihood that you'll be able to grab one of those action cards first because the higher number picks first if right. chad was to play his highest card his uh, or say let's say he plays the 12. Now the 12 would not be available to Adam. If Adam is next, he could either go higher with the 13 and guarantee himself the first pick of the action cards, or he could go lower as low as one because the one is where you get the six guys from the provinces to the court. If you're really needing to get more people to be able to put on the uh, map, that's where you'd use those cards. Now what you're bidding on are the action cards. So at the start of every round, you're gonna reveal five new action cards that are gonna be available to bid on. So in a five player game, all of the action cards will be utilized that round but in this three-player game, we're going to draw uh, three of the action cards and the other two just won't be used that round. So there's five piles. Each of the piles has, again, two uses. There's going to be an action on that card, which is going to be related to scoring or moving cubes around the map or preventing people from being able to do actions or something I'll explain in a little bit. You can move the king. The second use of those cards is that they add indicate whether you can place one, two, three, four, or five of those caballeros from your court onto the map. Now, when you place them onto the map, there's some rules to that too. There's nine different regions on the map and the king is also gonna be occupying one of those spaces. It's a big chunky piece that, that will be on the map. 
And when you place your caballeros, you can only place them in an adjacent region where its border is touching the region, the region's border of the region that holds the king. So that means some regions are going to be unavailable for you to place guys on unless an action card tells you that you can play the place some extra caballeros differently than that. The one rule that you can never break in this game, though, is you can never move a piece into or remove a piece from the region that has the king. So one of those action cards, and this action card is the only card that's utilized every single round, is to be able to move the king. Now, when you play an action card, you can either conduct the action that's on it or you can prevent it from occurring by passing on it. So sometimes you might actually draw an action card because you want the king exactly where it is right now because at the end of every third round, there's a scoring phase and you might really want that king in the spot that you have it right now because you don't want people to mess with that region that you currently have the highest number of caballeros in. Plus, like the Grande, the king adds a bonus two points when you score that region. And then there's one more thing to explain and that is that there's a 10th region essentially that's called the Castillo. And when you're playing the game on the table, and you must pronounce it like that, by the way, Castile, there's this big chunky building that's placed on the board. And it, like the regions, it scores. First place would get five points, second place would get three points, and third place would get one point when that's actually scored every third round, or if an action card lets you score it. But those pieces within that are hidden information. So you do get, you do announce when you place guys on there. So let's say I put up two of my five guys on the map, and then I take three and I place them in the Castile. So I would announce three in the Castile but it's this big, tall structure. And unless you're able to remember how many guys everyone else put in there, it's going to be a bit of a surprise when it comes to scoring. You're like, I thought I had seven in there and you had six, but you have eight. (laughs) And then the very last thing is that after the Castillo scores, and it's the first region to score every third round, you then get to take all all those caballeros that were in that Castillo secretly choose a region using a disc where you can um, select with a pointer which region you want to place them in and then everyone simultaneously places those guys so it's suddenly a potentially game-changing impact and that's before you score the other regions right that's before you score the other regions. so essentially the caballeros that go into the castillo had the potential to score twice and that's the game Uh, that's the whole thing it's exciting just you going over it again there's there's so many cool mechanics in this game but that what it's, I was saying is such a simple. pure design is like there's there's some complexity, not complexity. I don't want to say complexity. There's some nuance when it comes to the action mm-hmm. cards and how they interact with the game. But that was the entire game's rules in five minutes, and I missed nothing. Right. Exactly. And you can like it's the kind of thing that you can absorb and like I didn't I didn't have to reference a rule book oh, or totally. anything like that. And everything everything you describe is on the table at this point. You can see the action cards, you can see the symbols on, on our power cards, you can see exactly where the king pawn is and even the board itself has like all of the the individual scoring sections and the round counter and everything so everything you described like adam was doing a great job of following along uh if you're watching everything that you described so it's not like something you're gonna have to re-look up in a rule book halfway through the game or something like or you might miss right it's it's Mm -hmm. just spelt out which is nice so this game is old is there a better thing that came from this game that's just better in every way now not in my opinion, because in my like in my opinion, this one nails really? the mechanics so well. Because no, there are, I mean, like Chaos in the Old World for someone who's like a Warhammer 40k fan and want not 40k is that one 40k? No, it's yep, the, it uh, is 40K. No. Yep. yeah, or is it just plain old? It's Warhammer. Warhammer. It's Warhammer. Yeah, it's Warhammer. My mistake. Yeah. yeah. So if someone wants to like you know blood for the blood god and all that kind of thing, and they really want to like get into the Warhammer, then Chaos in the Old World might be a person's preference but when it comes to the mechanics of this game i don't think anything surpassed it in that dudes on a map genre there's, there's, that's like this there's, there's lots of 
area control games that borrow from this design like even ethnos is a game that uses the like per region little scoring tracks where each region has variable scoring or can have variable scoring and it has a very similar scoring system uh, chaos in the old world borrows a lot of the thing where there's like uh the the scoring of each round is kind of somewhat variable it doesn't happen at the end of every single turn it's a little bit more variable in chaos of the old world so there's a lot of games that have been inspired by el grande i'd say but i don't think honestly like i've played a lot of them I don't think a lot of them do it better than this. Well, do you know what I think happened when this got released is that, you know, Risk was that prototypical dudes on a map game forever. Like from the day right. it was released until El Grande came out, they were clones of that. Axis and Allies kind of did a little bit differently. But when El Grande came out, suddenly there was a parting and there was a pathway. And now you had go direction A where it's like dice checker or you go direction B where it's sort of like the elegant strategic design. In a lot of ways, the designs have still kept those splits right like there haven't been a whole ton of other branching paths to come off that it's like those were like sort of like the real big one genre and the other genre a thing. lot of merging though you know like oh sure there's some crossover you know, for sure like yeah. twilight imperium it's got like role you know selecting roles and a lot of like these kind of mechanics but it also has dice checking yeah. and spaceships it's it's worth noting that um one of the things that stood out for me when i first played this is there's not a lot of attacking like you can move stuff around, but it's a, it's more of an area majority a game than it is an area control game, where mm. I think there's a lot of difference. Like in a lot of games, if you have two opposing forces in the same region, they fight, and then someone has to die or leave. Right? That's not a thing here. Yeah, because I think just that moving guys around really. Like yeah. I interpret the theme in here as not so much about like conflict, and I think I use the word conflict, but it's more about power and influence, and it's like mm -hmm. developing influence in the courts and whatnot as you're as you're placing. Um, people on the map so it's not like you're putting soldiers in a field it's right. more like you're putting like influence out there and like and developing up people to support you and whatnot that's that's more what the theme is of this game so if you are listening to of dyson men we are going to now play a game of el grande and if you are watching of dyson men you get to enjoy us going through every single <laughs> turn and moment and the excitement that comes with that but if you're just listening we'll be right back and we're back. We have just played a game of El Grande, and it was glorious and victorious. The moves were so calculated. The, the strategies were just divine, and on top, the winner was me. Like yeah, it's, it the old, be. it's the only reason he's talking like that is because he won. <laughs> I'm excited. It's, it's nonsense, and you know it. Uh, it. It was just liberating to not have Ryan win. So I, I I open the show with my thoughts on this game. I'm a well seasoned player with a few dozen games under my belt. You both have a little less experience, especially Chad. This is the second time ever playing it. What are your thoughts on this game? So I played it exactly once, as I said at the opening of the show. Uh, Ryan taught it to us several years ago. I haven't played it since. Uh, and then excited that it showed up on uh, BGA, but I was also kind of like was this a good game to me five years ago? <laughs> or is, is this going to persist being a really good area control or area dominance game? And I'm glad to say I enjoyed this play just as much as my first one. There's, It's got this perfect balance. And a lot of the games that came out around this time, this uh, around this year, were like just enough mechanics to be interesting, but also not overbearing. You don't have to double check the rule book every single time you play, although we did double check a few rules. But those are edge cases. And, and the way the actions are set up and the way the board's laid out and the way the mechanics tied together, there's just so much 
um, variability and like, as I was saying when we were playing the game, when you select an action, in a lot of games nowadays, if you pick an action, there's one obvious way you should use that action because it just mathematically makes the most sense. In El Grande, I never feel that way where there's there's so many like good strategies you can do with moving the king or moving your 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 uh, ca caballeros on the board or secretly placing things in the Castillo and then the way the action cards come out, they can change values of, of different territories. And, and there's just so much going on in this game, but it's still like easy to parse and easy to understand. It's perfect combination, I'd say. And now just for those who are not aware, uh, you mentioned games that came around this time. It was 1996. So it's now a 25 year old game. Go. Nice. That makes me feel really old. <laughs> <laughs> I did not play it in '96, but I think we did. I'm not sure about it. Exactly no, I bought the ten, I bought the 10 year anniversary version, so it was mm -hmm. like 2006 when we started playing it. Cool. Yeah, it's, it's around that Catan time frame, right, where these big Euro games were coming overseas, um, coming from overseas, and uh, it was just shaking up board gaming. Whereas, like, here's these. There are cooler things you could be doing instead of playing Monopoly and, and, and so on. I really like the fact that this game is very tactical. You can't really plan ahead. You just got to see every round. Okay, what cards have I got available? What things do I get? Okay, let's do it. If I had one complaint about this game, well, no, if I had a couple complaints about this game, and I mean El Grande, um, not this particular game, which I have no complaints because it was perfectly played <laughs> and elevated in every way by the fact that I won. It's that there's a lot of silent contemplation in this game. I was trying to force myself to talk while on the air here, but even still long drawn out silences for a long time. So it's kind of like playing chess with, you know, up to five people, <laughs> just like lots <laughs> of thinking, lots of whatever. Also, there's no real like, I, at least I didn't, maybe there is, if you're like very expert at this game, there's no real like deal making like, okay, well, if you go here, I'll go here, well, whatever, or at least maybe not when we're playing. Um, right. I just kind of felt like this. It's just like, I'm going to play my little puzzle and I hope that I beat your guys also playing the same little puzzle. I think you're right. Like you wouldn't do a whole lot of negotiation in this. And I think partly that is because it is so tactical. Like you're, you're not really setting yourself up for long-term success. I guess you could try if you had like um, negotiations with someone for a peace river, like you would in, in risk or something like that. But I just don't think this is the type of game for that. So you're right. It's, it's, I wouldn't call it like, um, uh, multiplayer solitaire because you are impacting each other's board positions and those kinds of things but it is a quietly contemplative game compared mm -hmm. to like something that's a little more rowdy that we might play i was going to say there's around. a number of times when we were playing that we stopped and did math because some of the action cards are like if i take this action i will get this many points you will get this many points based on the current board state right you almost have to do that after each turn if that action is still available right because if ryan does something picks a different action and adds four more guys on the board that calculation is different now. And I wonder if somebody was really good at this kind of like math, if really good at this kind of game, if there's an obviously best play every time, because like you said, it's perfect information, you know, everything. And I wonder if somebody was able like somebody way smarter than us, maybe like Scott's kid or something was smart enough to just look at the board and go, yeah, that's the best move I can do. If this would actually be a crappy game, because it's kind of like, well, I just see what I have on my turn, and that's the best one, and I do the best I can. But in the end, it's you know, it's the order that mattered that came up. I wonder. I'm not smart enough to figure that out, but I wonder if somebody was smart enough to figure that out. If this game would suddenly become boring. Well, yes and no, because I mean, like every round, you have to do that sort of decision making on whether you want to expend your 
um, power cards that get you uh, high in the initiative ranking. So someone who is really good at just reading the board and be like, okay, that's the card that I need might have already spent the 13 or the 12 and then they're going right. to have to actually maybe right. not like get that best action you, you still have this random thing coming up like oh you shouldn't should, that wasn't as important as you thought it was now would have been a much better time to hold the 13 but i still think you like you'd get to a point where if you're playing like yep like i know this i know this i know this you'd be like yeah well had i drawn that sooner i would have made a different decision but oh well like you, you can't plan for it and i wonder if mm -hmm. that would just if it would become kind of like war for a really mm -hmm. smart person I don't. Maybe. I, I don't think so. Like it, you're, you're playing odds at that point, right? Like the odds of you seeing that action card at a specific point in the game, and a lot of games are like that, where you're going to see. I, I think this is true in El Grande, where you have those five separate stack of stacks of action cards, but do you see all of them every single time you play? No, no I think there's nine rounds, but thirteen cards per stack, right. so four of the thirteen will not show up. Yeah, so you're you're never guaranteed to get the action you need at the time you need it. So it's the type of gameplay I really enjoy is tactical as well. I like being able to be presented with a new game state and then make the best decision you can, which is very much El Grande. I think you're true in like in the moment, if I'm looking at the current state of things and knowing the cards I have and the cards I have available, there probably is a mathematically correct card to pick. It's hard to tell what that would be, but if you're, you know, you've played this 20 times or something like that, it's probably easier to pick up. But now in this game, uh, especially and I'll get into this in a little bit, but um, in a five-player game, let's say we're playing with Scott's kid, who's a savant when he plays these and just can like pick out those best moves. The other four just say, he's smarter than us, get him. And then there is that <laughs> sort of ability to sort of slow a person right. down by playing intrigue uh, cards that allow you to take foreign players, caballeros, and move them around the map and sort of readjust. So there is that ability to sort of like to pull that person doorknobs and just hit them a lot because they're smarter than you are well, i was thinking socks full of bars of soap but yeah, yeah either way i mean it all it all works out in the wash no there's a saying has something to do with washing socks i don't remember <laughs> the one thing i just wanted to add because i didn't mention this in the opening is that we played a. did i mention this in the opening we played a three-player game this game really shines at five because there's always going to be five action cards available to bid on in a three-player game the worst you're going to get is the third best of five in a five-player right. game though you might get a card that is completely useless to you so you really have to <laughs> it's a harder decision to assess when to play your high power cards and when to right. just like play a lower one and accept that you're going to be just pulling more guys into your into your pool of uh, available players so and because listeners didn't get to listen to our entire game we actually discovered while playing that in a three-player game the third box doesn't score so right. we thought it was a bug at first. We're like, hey, we were supposed to score and we didn't. And then Ryan found the rules and was like, oh, actually in a three-player game, uh, oh, good, you only good. score the first two boxes. Which yeah, just first and second place would score in a region. That's right. So Ryan, I just want to highlight, Ryan did not give you all the rules. <laughs> and then the other rule. Like he said he did because he's a liar. The other rule that I can remember, remember that I missed is that when you're playing an action, action cards tell you how many caballeros you can place onto the map. And it also tells you what your action is that you can do that round. You can do the action first, or you can place the caballeros first and then follow it up with the action. And that's actually a really important decision. The one thing you can't do, though, is like place two of your caballeros, do the action, then place three more. It's right. all the guys' placements, then the action, or vice versa. And the grande, yes. And that's, that one I, <laughs> I neglected to mention is that the grande, the larger meeple, does not count towards your, uh, or the larger cube does not count towards your majority. We mentioned that this game came out with like Catan and Kalis and Puerto Rico. The one thing that I find about El Grande and playing it now is it still feels like a, a design that could have come out 
now, even mm-hmm. though a lot of games now have miniatures and tacked on stuff, but it, it doesn't feel dated at all. Like um, Catan feels kind of dated in the fact that a game could take 60 minutes or four hours. Like it's really dependent on like where the resource placements are and die rolls and that kind of thing. Puerto Rico is kind of like colonial dated and there's like the the issue of like the player to the left i think it is gets the big advantage of the how experienced the person before them is and if they make kind of a screwy error you can totally take advantage of that this game doesn't have that so much partly because turn order is always changing based on who plays which power cards but also it just doesn't feel dated like the theme doesn't feel dated or anything that so it's still like a very modern feeling game i think Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I really appreciate that. And like I said, um, I, I was kind of worried that having played it so many years ago and thinking really highly of it, and since playing hundreds of games, uh, that, that it might have fallen in favor a little bit, but pl- getting it to the table again, or even just playing it online, uh, I enjoyed it just as much this time. It's It's got a lot of fresh mechanics. Like we were saying when we were playing, There's there's not really a lot of games that feel like bits and pieces of of el grande's dna in a bunch of area majority of games but el grande still feels unique like i can't think of another published game that is similar to el grande mm-hmm. okay but hear me out el grande but with a secret hidden traitor thing oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. every <laughs> game's better <laughs> we can make it so that was our El Grande episode in our El Grande game. I hope you enjoyed listening to it. And now we like to end the show with a little talk about uh, what have you played recently, guys? I finally played my game. I finally played Townsfolk okay. Tussle. That's the game I've been talking about pretty much every other episode since they they announced that they've. Is that one the one like? The, did you say it's like um, a Monster Kingdom Death Monster? It's, it's but, uh... like Kingdom Death Monster, yeah. Hmm. But yeah, like not, I, I but then it's got like Steamboat, Steamboat Willie era kind yeah. of cartoon characters yeah, instead of like very much hung like... armor and overly weird dark stuff. <laughs> it still has dark stuff, which is kind of unique about it. But hmm. yeah, it's very much like a vintage cartoon theme, which is really cool. Yeah, so it's it's like they took the the concept of Kingdom Death Monster, which is like this big campaign uh, settlement management uh, gear purchasing and upgrading and boss battling, which which is a lot of Kingdom Death. You'll instead of doing a dungeon crawl or something, you'll be facing one large, terrifying bad guy that you have to beat up. Uh, So they've taken that concept, and instead of making like a 40-hour campaign, which is what Kingdom Death is, if if you play it front to back, it's a two to three hour experience. Uh, So they basically took all all the cool things from Kingdom Death, uh, cut out a lot of the fluff, um, and just said, okay, you have a buying phase now. You can buy some cool weapons. Okay, now go fight the first guy. Okay, now you have a buying phase go fight the second guy and you do that four times. And if you make it to the end, you win the game. That's, that's the entire townsfolk tussle experience. So it's a lot of the cool, same concepts. Um, they have town events, which are very similar to like the events from kingdom death monster, where things can either go really well or really poorly for you. And those kind of cascade into the next boss fight, the variety of weapons and the abilities you get is the, the deck of cards or the several different decks of cards you get in this game are just huge. Like the, I think the item deck is legitimately like 200 items or something like that. And they all have that really cool artwork style to them as well. Um, the bosses you fight have their own little AI deck, just like in King of the Death Monsters. There's a bunch of like very like character specific things. One thing that came up was we we're one of the first bosses I fought was a scarecrow. And one of their attacks was okay, go over to the to the closest player, stick a pull down their back, and now they're a scarecrow. So when they move around the map, they have to jump three squares at a time. <laughs> and they can only like reach from on top of their, their little scarecrow pole and stuff. 
all of the cool little things uh, that that I really appreciated about Kingdom Death, but it's in a small, like, single night experience. You don't have to set up a 20, 20 session campaign with your friends or anything to play this game. So lots of bonuses to it. I think the only things that you really lose is because it's that kind of single night experience, you lose a lot of the epicness. Like in Kingdom Death, if you sit down to play a campaign, it's this huge production where you're managing your settlement and you care about, you know, oh, this this person I really care about, you know, if they survive the fight and there's backstory and, and, and everything built up with with the lifetime of this experience. Whereas in Townsfolk Tussle, you get to do a bunch of cool things and it's it's fun and, and cool to play, but you don't get as much attachment to it, right? There's there's that difference, I think. Well, it's probably kind of disposable, not disposable, but you know what I mean, like a like a short cartoon, right? Like yeah. it's got it's it, it's not a big epic story that's being told by these old school like Disney or whatever era that they're trying to evoke. So it kind of is suitable for that. I think that like a campaign wouldn't really fit with that yeah. theme nearly as well. But yeah, that's one thing I appreciate about Kingdom Death Monster is like injuries are persistent and those kinds right. of things. And yet. Yeah, definitely not a thing in uh, Townsfolk Tussle. They do have a lot of cool things. It's still a game I love. I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy playing it. It was, it was one of those games I've been so hyped to receive and so excited to finally get it to the table that sometimes when I do that to myself and I finally play the game, it just falls flat because I have such an elevated opinion of it going into it. But this definitely lived up to it. They give you both standees and miniatures, which I love. So you can get like full color standees. You don't have to paint your guys or anything like that. But if you like that or you want the 3D minis, they're included as well. The town events are cool. Um, there's this other thing that they did that Kingdom Death doesn't actually have. It's actually closer to Gloomhaven. The battle goals that you get when you play Gloomhaven, when you start each scenario, it might be like go the entire scenario without healing or something like that. So they've added that, and that actually adds quite a bit to the game because otherwise you're just buying things and then fighting, buying things and then fighting. But with these battle goals... You might have a battle goal that says go into the next battle without wearing pants <laughs> and that's like something you try to do with your character and one it gives you direction so if you're looking at this big list of items that you can buy from maybe you'll one of your battle goals is you know dress up like a wizard so you'll buy a wand and, and a robe and you'll get points for doing that kind of thing so it really gives you direction in that phase of the game uh but the other side of it is if you survive the f into the fourth battle whoever completed the most battle goals gets to become the sheriff which is really cool, and you get a, a game-specific item for the, the final boss that you're fighting. But you also become the sheriff, which means if you're knocked out in the final fight, everyone loses. So all of a sudden, everyone has to protect you because you're like the valuable character in the group and stuff like that. So many cool little ideas that are going on in this game. I really like it. Yeah, it's, it's one that was not on my radar at all until you were talking about it, but it sounds super cool. How many players does it play? Uh, it plays up to... Five, four or five, I believe. Yeah. And it's full co-op, of course. Very cool. The only game that I can think of that I played recently was uh, Reiner Knitz's Samurai, which is another old school Euro. It's more of an abstract kind of a game where you're it's tile placement and you're, you're competing to place enough of a majority of tiles that you can claim tokens off the board. And then whoever is able to, it's got, got a little bit of a convoluted scoring system, but uh, whoever wins is based on whoever claims the most tiles so it's it's really and, and both players will have the exact same tiles available to them in terms of point values but you draw a hand of tiles so you'll have your strongest tiles at different times necessarily so yeah it's a cool game i like it a lot but it's not one that would ever like i'm not enthused for it but it's just a very well constructed game which is not surprising from reiner kamita 
I think that was like, if I'm remembering correctly, like the one night we came to your place, we played Samurai and El Grande. I think those are the we two might games have. we played. <laughs> yeah. I think you're right. I think we did. <laughs> Hilarious. Adam, have you played anything recently? I've been playing a lot of board game arena games. And uh, one I particularly like, and I feel like nobody else likes it as much as I do, is uh, Feast for Odin, which is that one where you're like Vikings and it's worker placement and there's a little bit of Tetrisy thing happening. It's it's a neat game, and I think it's awesome. But everybody else I played with has been like, mm, it's okay. But for me, it's like <laughs> it's like if you took Agricola and you made it cool instead of lame. <laughs> That's what it is. Yeah. Uh, so rather think... than farming and building a family, I'm like raiding and exploring and crafting weapons and stuff. And it's awesome. <laughs> The, the way I heard someone else describe Feast for Odin is it's basically Caverna, but then you lay all your shit on the lawn and you get points for that. <laughs> because like you said, there's there's a tetromino uh, component to it. And the, the bigger area you can uh, cover up every round, the more income you get at the beginning of the next round, the less points you lose because there's a bunch of minus ones you start with. Uh, I think you start the game with like minus 86 points yeah, or like something minus like a that. Lot. Yeah. yeah. And, and even it, like if you like find a new island to explore it's just like more minus points until you cover yeah. up the minus ones and like if you get a house it's like minus points until you do something i actually i think now that i say that i think all the houses end up like it's still like getting plus two but then you can also right. cover up minus points but yeah 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 i think it's cool i i didn't dislike the game but it very much felt like they took caverna or agricola probably closer to caverna because there's not really and made something better by combining the two kind of no. like taking peanut and butter then, and jelly and then they took something something even better <laughs> and then they took something like baron park or patchwork like another tetromino game and Uwe rosenberg was like what if we mash the two together and see what happens and that's what they did <laughs> and it's and suddenly it was like reese peanut butter cups chocolate peanut butter something even better came no. out the other thing uh, yeah, no, I, uh, mm. I really like Peace it. for Odin is one that I've wanted to try in person, but because I play um, all my BGA games on my phone, that one just looks <laughs> right. like one of those like big table hogs that would be sort of bewildering all the different tokens and boards yeah. and all that kind of thing. And it's just that's one I'd like to play in person sometime. Honestly, I could barely get it working with a with a monitor and mouse. Like the dragging of the components onto the board was really difficult. I cannot imagine how that would work in mobile. Yeah, it's Hopefully it, they, they don't even let you but... drag actually on mobile. You have to tap and tap and oh. like, do one tap and then another tap. And it's yeah. it's a huge pain actually, kind of. Yeah, yeah, I could see that being a thing. Yeah, it's it's a game that I had heard a lot of great things about, which is why when it when it showed up on Board Game Arena, I was really excited to try it out. And then me and Adam played it, and it's like I don't like Caverna either. Like Caverna, I just find there's there's too many things you can do, and it's it's very much the same with Feast for Odin. I think for like there's a worker placement component where you get more and more workers every round and some spaces cost you more workers. I think the most expensive is you have to drop four workers on an action, but then you end up with like 12 or 13 workers in a round. But like that grid of four by 20 <laughs> different actions, that's how many worker placement spots there are in this game, which is kind of ridiculous. And I thought the same thing with Caverner. There's just too many things you can do where i prefer agricola where there's a very small subset and the variety comes through your occupation cards and your minor improvements and stuff so yeah there's i i already didn't care for caverna that much and then it just added a completely superfluous tetromino game onto it right 
Yeah. So Chad's wrong, and it's super fun, <laughs> and I really enjoy it. And yes, it is overwhelming at first because it's like, okay, you're plopped into this, and like you said, there's a grid of like four by twenty or something, and you're like, these are your options. What do you do first? And that right. sucks. But after like a learning game, which I'm, I'm really into these learning games right now, where you don't even oh, try yeah. to win, you just like boom, boom, boom. I, this is me learning to play, and I don't care to win. But after a learning game, I was like. I think this game is great. And now that I've played two more games since, I'm like, yep, this game is great. Just great. Fantastic. And I'm terrible at Tetris. I've never played it once. So maybe maybe it requires a few more plays to really get into it. It definitely requires at least one more. Because the first game, I wasn't sure, too. I was like, I don't know about this. But then again, if you you have such strong feelings about it, I doubt they're going to change. Well, I I should say, I wouldn't be upset if I had to play it again. Like, it's not a game that I actively dislike playing. It just, it just feels like too much things going on too many things bolted together but what they did was playable i'll, I'll give it <laughs> i i would so if it. you'd like to hear more of chad being wrong you can always tune in and check us out on twitter at of underscore dice underscore and underscore men or you can check us out when we have live streams just subscribe to i don't know what you're watching on so youtube twitch something, facebook yeah. something do that and then uh you know you'll see when we get to pop up and have these talks and of course your favorite podcasts Pat catcher, what do you call them? Podcatcher, podcatchers, yeah, your favorite <laughs> podcatcher. Listen to us every fortnight, and uh, yeah, that's the show. Unless you guys want anybody want to say anything before we go, I was gonna like, I don't even have like a hyped game I'm waiting for. I have a huge stack of games that I still need to play, and I got Townsfolk Tussle, so I'm good for a few weeks, I think. I don't think I have anything in mind that I've really wanted to play recently. I just want to play more Legacy of Dragonhold online because I'm really enjoying doing that right now. It's fun. That's fun. It is good. All right. Well, that's been the show. Uh, we'll see you in a fortnight. I'm trying the pause thing again, but it's not working. And oh, yeah. It. Right. Press the button. Turn it off. Ends the show. Good night. <laughs>